One of the saddest things in my life was getting told off on the first day of secondary school for praying heartfeltly with my eyes open in assembly, and I got called out to the side afterwards by the head of year who told me that I was being deeply disrespectful by refusing to bow my head and clasp my hands. And I was so distraught. Anyway, that's nothing to do with this. <laughs> that's unfair, isn't it? Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Ben. I'm part of the church here at Ebby. Uh, I don't know if we've got slides. Um, we'll go to the next one. But in case you can't tell from that first line, I always say the same thing <laughs> uh, in these things. But I don't really make any apology for that, I think, because I, I really want us to get this. This is really... What I'm talking about this morning really sits heavy on my heart. It's pretty close to being the whole deal for me. I get really animated about it, and I really want us as church to get this. So this is kind of a plea um, this morning. And the verses that we're looking at, the passage that we're looking at this morning, I think might be my favorite in the whole Bible because it gets so close to the heart of this thing that I'm really um, passionate about. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I was hoping you might indulge me in a silly little game, <laughs> if that's okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you to get into groups of like threes or fours, turn around to the people near you, just so you know that that's coming. Okay, uh, this is a silly little game. Uh, I want you to pick one of these possible new settings uh, from this list. Can you tell that I asked my two-year-old nephew for some of the suggestions? Uh, the playground, the zoo, his high chair. Apparently he loves it there. Um, what I'm going to ask you to do is imagine that in, let's say, six months' time, Bristol, as we know it now, is going to become like one of these places. Okay? It's going to be transformed into one of these other settings and spaces. All right, you've got six months from what it is now till it becomes one of them. You can pick which one you want to talk about. My question is... In those six months, how would you prepare so that when it turns into one of these places, you feel most at home in that new setting? Do you get me? So if Bristol overnight in six months' time turns into a jungle, you've got six months now to get yourself ready so that when that happens, you're not terrified and freaked out and you don't know what to do, but actually you're like, here it is, the jungle, just like I was expecting. I'm ready for this. I know how to be here. I am at home. Everybody got the idea? Okay, I'm going to give you like two, two free minutes. Uh, turn around to the people near you. Pick one of those. I'll read them out in case you can't see them. Your choices are the playground, the zoo, the high chair, the Morocco, the Morocco, Morocco, the jungle, ancient Rome, a desert, Berlin, underwater, or outer space. What are you going to do to get ready? All right, that's time. That's time. We'll be here all morning otherwise. <laughs> okay. Back in the room, anybody? No, you're still going. All right, I'm glad that you all got so animated about that. That's excellent. I love, I love hearing buzz of conversation. Uh, hopefully, you can be as animated about this exercise when we do it again at the end. Spoilers. Um, okay. <laughs> but so, I don't, depending on which one you picked, I don't know what conversations you had, but you might have said things like, 
some of these. Let's have a look at the next slide. Sorry, I don't have a clicker. Uh, right. So probably what you started to do was to find the major points of difference between Bristol as it is now and that new setting as it will be. And so I don't know what you, you might have had some of these. You might have had something totally different. It might be Bristol's quite cold. We need to get used to it being hot. It might be that Bristol's got Earth gravity. You might get, need to get used to there being no gravity. Tame wildlife mm, needs to get used to being dangerous wildlife. You might have said really like profound and systemic and serious things like, mm, I feel like it currently operates on a more individualist ethic, and if we want to be at home in the other one, maybe we need to start to get used to thinking as a collective. Or you might have just said, we wear jeans, we're going to have to get used to wearing togas. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it was you picked, that's probably the sort of thing you were doing, trying to find the differences between the now and the new so that you could acclimatize yourself to those things that are coming down the track. Does that make sense? Uh, now, that might seem quite silly and funny and frivolous, but I want to contend that that is basically what the New Testament epistles, the letters, are. Okay? Uh, that... I don't have time to explain this now. You can go and watch some of my old talks if you, if you want to get more about this. But basically, the, the sort of idea of the New Testament of the Bible is that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This earth joins with heaven, and the earth is transformed into God's divine realm. And it will be in line with the character of God and different than it is now. And our job and our life and our purpose now is like that exercise to get as ready as we can be to be at home in that coming reality when it arrives. And pretty much if you flip open to any page or any passage of the New Testament, I think you can see those sorts of conversations happening. There's basically two main things that cover almost everything in there. One is a group of people trying to work out some ways that they can get ready now for that world as it will be. We've seen a bit of what God's divine realm and rule is like. We've seen Jesus. We know that that is coming in its fullness, that one day that is how the world will be. How do we start to get ready to be at home in that world now? It's so different from how it is now, but how do we make ourselves ready so that when it arrives, we feel right at home? Uh, and then alongside that, there is also a little bit of trying to deal with the feelings of in the meantime and the disappointment and the sadness sometimes, the longing. You know, when you can see that something wonderful is on its way, but it's not yet completely here, there's going to be some disconnect and some disjunct with that. So either they're trying to figure out how do we get ourselves ready in the world as it is now for the world that is coming, or what do we do with the fact that there's such a difference between those two? That, I think, covers a lot of what the letters are, hopefully. I don't know, you can try it out later at home. Um, but I think that is certainly what the bit of Philippians that we're looking at this morning is. And as I said, it's, it's possibly um, my favorite example because... Oh, I need to jump on to the next one. Um, because I think it flags up one of the major points of difference, right? In that game, we were looking for the differences between the world as it is now and the world as it will be. And I think this little short passage in Philippians gets right to the heart of one of the key differences that we need to learn. If we want to get the hang of being ready for that new world, this tells us so much about it. You know, if you were going to read the rough guide to a new city to get used to what it was going to be like to go there, you might sort of read about what food to eat or what side of the road they drive on or whatever. This is like my potted rough guide to God's realm 
Philippians 2, 1 to 11. If you want to get the hang of the difference between now and as it will be, it's all in here. Um, Yeah, let's read it. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Remember, this is people talking to each other. How do we get ready for this world as it's going to be? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. I'm really interested in this word. Other translations, some of them have it as as something to be grasped. Some of them talk about it as being as something to be taken advantage of. But that word is so key to me. In the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave or a servant. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Okay, so what I want to spend the last bit of time that we've got is basically just looking at the difference that this passage gets at, the heart of that difference between the world as it is now and the world as it will be when the character of Christ is the fullness of the divine realm. Okay, so let's, let's look. Here's, here's what I think is the major point of difference. Um, and it, it, it's all around, it's in that word, exploit or grasp or take advantage of the world now so much of it operates in an exploiting model okay and it kind of there's these kind of two beliefs these are slightly messy shorthand but you get the idea these kind of two beliefs that create uh, this exploiting model which is the idea that there's not enough to go around there just isn't enough there's there's there's, there's a shortage of everything all the time and I have to be the biggest and best. I have to be on top of the tree in or, just in order to survive. Not even necessarily because I want to be, though that happens too, but just to survive, I've got to make sure that because there's not enough to go around, I've got to be ahead of all those other people. And I want to say that in the new world, the world uh, ruled and modeled by Jesus, as talked about in Philippians 2, the God who uses his position of being in very nature God, being the ultimate power, not as something to be exploited, but as service. That's the difference. This world wants to work on exploitation. The world of Jesus works on serving. And I think the two beliefs in there that you see in this passage, there is more than enough to go around. And the priority is the shalom, if we want to use that word, the flourishing, the complete... um, Uh, peaceful, good community of us all. So the exploiting world is centered on itself, 
And the serving world is focused on us all collectively together. You heard it in the start of that passage. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And so these differences between the exploiting mindset, there's not enough to go around, so I've got to get it all for myself first, versus the Jesus model of having all the power and using it to give it away, uh, work out in all these different ways. So we can have a look at some of the, like, I could have made 15 slides of these lists. There's so many of these, and each of them could be an hour-long talk in itself, but don't worry, I won't subject you to that now. Um, but let's look at some of those differences, like we were talking about between Bristol and Morocco or wherever it might be. The difference between the exploiting model that is so prevalent in the world now and the Jesus model, it sees, the now thing sees everything as a zero-sum game. That means if I get something, you can't have it. If you get something, I can't have it. Everything cancels each other out. Uh, there's this drive for relentless growth. I've got to continue to keep getting bigger. There's this sort of arms race to make sure I'm ahead of the other people because there's not enough to go around and I've got to look out for myself so I've got to make sure I get my stuff before they come and take it because if they take it, I can't have it because it's a zero-sum game. It looks for leverage. When you get into a position of power or having something more than somebody else, you use that power and that position of having more than somebody else to make sure it stays that way and to keep putting the distance between you and the people who have less so that they can't be a threat to you and come and dethrone you and take your stuff because it's a zero-sum game. And when you've got power, it seeks control for the same reason. I've got some power. I need to use it to make sure I stay in power. Does this sound familiar yet? Uh, it turns everything into rivalry or enmity. It means that everybody else is a threat to you. If, if, there's only, if there's not enough to go around and I've got to get it before somebody else does, all of you are potential threats to my stuff, to my survival. And so everybody is a potential baddie, <laughs> uh, which creates conquest. I have to go out and I have to take the resources and the land and the people groups and the power. I have to go and win those battles before they come and fight me and beat me. And that's where you get empire building. And, and it all revolves around this idea of scarcity. And we create scarcity to perpetuate this idea that exploitation is okay. And, and it's ultimately because there's always one scarcity, right? Even if you had enough of everything else, even if you could see that there was enough food to feed everybody and uh, enough, I don't know, PlayStations for everyone to have three, whatever it might, if there was enough of every possible resource, there would always be one possible scarcity in the world as it is now, which is life, right? And if it comes down to it and there's two people, one of them can always kill the other one and take their life away and so there is always that threat there's always that idea that you're my rival there's always that idea that we're contesting over this limited resource because we can always uh, take life from each other and that creates the world that dominates what we live in now and I'll show you some examples in a second but you can see I think in this passage and in the model of Jesus and in that idea of God who doesn't use his power to put distance between him and us, but uses his power uh, to bring freedom and chooses to die, becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, the idea of it is completely mind-blowing. And you can see in all of that the exact opposite of all of those things, the exact opposite of the exploitative model. It's not a zero-sum game. There is more than enough for everybody. Instead of pursuing relentless growth, we pursue contentment. Instead of looking for leverage and distance and power over somebody else, 
Jesus looks for service. How can I use my position as being in very nature God to bless the whole community? I could do it by dying. (laughs) Power seeks our collective freedom rather than control. And where there was rivalry and enmity and all of you are my enemies because you're out to take the stuff that I've got, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself because we're not fighting over limited resources. We are seeking one another's good in a kingdom that has more than enough. And that's why we're more than conquerors, as Paul talks about, because we're not just the people who win the fight. We have transcended the idea of fighting. And all of this is ultimately because... The story doesn't end with the death of Jesus, but with his resurrection, which means that the rug gets pulled out from underneath death, and that idea of being able to always take away somebody's life, which always creates that threat of scarcity, which always creates that enmity and rivalry and all the rest of it, and all the exploitation, is done away with, because ultimately, what can threaten us? And so people are no longer a threat to me, but they can be my neighbor and my brother and my sister, because... We are freed from exploitation into self-sacrificial service to one another through Jesus' resurrection. Whew, that was a long thing, wasn't it? All right. Uh, I could talk about that all day, like I say, each of them. Um, I just wanted to give you some examples of how we see that in the real world, and then I wanted to finish by asking what we can do to try and learn a different way of being. I won't dwell on any of these examples, just know that they're there. I brought receipts. <laughs> these are some different ways. You see this exploitation model worked out in every scale and facet of life, right? From people buying toilet rolls when they think there's a shortage, up to like politics on the global stage. This is a chart of how many of Earth's resources we've used, right? When it's in the red, it means we've used more resources than there are to replenish. And in the 70s, we were about at equilibrium. We still could be now, but we're so locked into this international arms race of I've got to be bigger and stronger than that other country, and I've got to get the resources before they do, and I've got to extract the nickel or whatever it is before somebody else gets it, that just since 1970, we've brought it forward so that in half a year we've used up all the resources that there are in the world and we're borrowing against a future that we don't have yet. Really frightening. You can see that in the charts on the next one. This is the terrifying growth. You can't see what any of those are, but they're things like uh, metal extraction and use of fossil fuels. You can see then in just 50 years that terrifying exponential growth because we're locked into this exploitation model of we've got to get it before they do and so it vastly outstrips the actual growth that we need to be balanced because everybody's trying to win Uh, and like I say you don't need to look to international climate crisis politics to see this you can also see it uh, in Black Friday crushes I think it's the exact same mentality. Every time those deals come around and people can get a TV for 30 quid less or whatever it is, you see people trampling over each other to try and get to the thing before the other person gets it. Um, Or like I said, the toilet rolls example. We saw when people thought it was going to be there in lockdown. There's not enough toilet rolls to go around. I have to make sure I get them before you do. It's the exact same on a tiny scale exploitation mentality of grab for myself, look to my own interests first, 
that scales up to loads of the like systemic crises that we're in today. And Jesus' way could not be more opposite to it. There's a bunch more of these, but we don't have time to go into them now. Wealth, you see wealth ac- accumulation. The people who've got it get more and more and more. The next chart shows you the difference between the haves and the have-nots. It says at the top there. It's so massive now that you can't even fit it on that graph. The, the 1% who are trying to keep hold of their power and look to their own interests have done that so successfully that the gap between the haves and have-nots doesn't even fit on the chart anymore. Um, You see it in treatment of groups that we other, migrants or marginalized people, uh, any divide you want to make, race, gender, sexuality, uh, you see it in these headlines that say, they are the bad people, they're coming over here to take your stuff, they're coming to take your NHS beds, or they're coming to take this away from you. It all comes from the same exploitation mentality. There's not enough to go around, you've got to look out for yourself first, so look to your own interests, not those of others. Could go on and on all day. Uh, If we had time, I would ask you to now think about some examples of where you see this in your life and your world. But we don't, so you can do that afterwards. Uh, What I want to finish on is this, this is what I'm so passionate about. This is what church should be in my mind. I am so convinced that this difference between exploitation and service, between the way of self-interest and the way of Jesus on the cross, is at the heart of what it's like to live in the divine realm, in the kingdom of God. And church is meant to be the place where we practice now to be ready for that. That world is coming where we don't need to clamber over each other to get hold of the widescreen TVs, where we don't have to be in an arms race with other countries to extract all the stuff out of the planet and destroy it. That world is coming where there is enough for us to love our neighbor in generous other interest. And our job as church is to get ready for that now. And how can we practice being at home in that world now? And that could be all sorts of things. That could be just saying to each other, Ben, I can feel myself sliding into that mindset. I can feel myself wanting to go to the Black Friday crush and buy the TV before the other people do. How, how can I stop like, going down that pathway? Maybe it's creating some structural things that model a different way of being so that where the world says there isn't enough to go around, maybe we as a community of 150 can find some ways of providing for people that is not about just growing for ourselves and is about supporting each other equally and sustainably. I don't know. There could be a million things. I would love for us to spend some time in the coming weeks talking about what that would look like. But yeah. This is the same thing I say every time, and I'll keep on saying it till I'm blue in the face. This is what the kingdom of God is about. That's what church is for. How can we do it together? How can this be a place where we have, with as much animation and buzz as you did about what if Bristol becomes Morocco 20 minutes ago, this world is going to become the kingdom of God. It's going to become the service-oriented, Jesus-centered kingdom what does it look like to get ready now to live in that world when it comes in fullness let's pray Lord God thank you so much that you do not work the way that the world works we would be lost without your 
mercy and grace and your use of your power in self-sacrificial freedom for us. We would be lost without it, and we thank you for it. And Lord, we want to be at home in that world. We know that the kingdom that doesn't look to its own interests but uses its power to serve others is coming, and we love it, and we thank you for it, and we want to be at home when it arrives. Lord, teach us how to live and work together now to be at home in your radically different kingdom. Amen.